The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on Chai FM. And I must say, an intro from the, the great Frank Sinatra certainly set the tone. We all sort of wonder if the golden years, the years gone by were better. But technology just keeps driving us forward. There's just no question that we live in a world where things seem to be accelerating at a rate, well, not so fast at the moment. Everyone's sitting around waiting for a vaccine. But that's a whole nother kettle of fish, as they say. But here we sit. All the mundane stuff that goes on around technology is still going on. And we've been made some more promises by government. And these are not vaccine promises. I promise you that. These were promises around the whole digital migration uh, setup. And apparently, um, our new minister, or she's not so new anymore, has Stella Ndabendi Abrams, has promised to speed up the digital migration project. And I know I've spoken a lot about Spectrum, but I cannot overstate how important it is. Mobile is definitely the way that the vast majority of South Africans connect to the Internet. The Internet is becoming an absolutely indispensable part of our lives. And back to the coronavirus um, pandemic, if it hadn't been for the Internet, I know there's raging inequalities in South Africa, but if it hadn't been for the Internet and connectivity and the sheer ubiquity of mobile communication, I don't know where we'd all be, both locally and globally. I mean, without... The internet, we wouldn't be doing work, we wouldn't be getting on with education, there's just so many different things. Even medicine has gone pretty much online. So it's really a critical, critical part of any future mix as we go. And the whole world, pretty much, with the exception of a couple of countries like South Africa, moved on to digital television round about 2015. Well, well before, but the deadline was 2015. And here we sit in South Africa with our aerials hanging off our roof, getting droopier and more sort of corroded as we go along because we're still broadcasting old-fashioned analog TV for the most part. Many people in, in, in the more wealthy areas are using digital television through satellite or streaming or just giving up television altogether. But for the for the most part, tons and tons of people out in the rural areas, in the, the less affluent areas, rely on their television for news, for updates, for information, and all sorts of stuff. So television is still a force to be reckoned with. And yet we have still not gone digital. There's been so much corruption, so much delay, which is a little bit of an indictment on the South African situation. But again, this is the tech show, not the politics show. But anyway, during a Wednesday briefing, this last Wednesday, uh, our Minister of, Te of Communications did say that she will be pushing for a massive um, switch off of all analog transmission by March 2022. And I hope to heavens that this is true. I hope they actually get it. They're going to start in the free state. Then again, a lot of people still ask me, is there anything going on in the free state? Well, they'll be the first with digital television, it seems. Quite the thing, that. Um, and they will start in March, which is next month, to switch off the free state. And then they'll continue throughout the year to switch off the rest of the country. And they cannot do that unless they have the ability to switch on the digital television. The SABC has got all the necessary um, wherewithal. Centec have been rolling out the 
the technology slowly but surely. So maybe finally all the parts are coming together and we'll have digital television by 2022. However, that also moves to the whole story of digital and mobile. With those frequencies freed up, they will then be available to the mobile networks to use them to transmit a much more robust digital signal and allow us to get broadband that's cheaper, faster, and penetrates buildings and go along further distances because South Africa is big. Our walls are brick. Generally, it's a little bit of a challenge for mobile networks. So if they're able to get hold of the 800 and 900 frequencies, they'll be able to um, transmit on those and give us much better service. So let's hope finally we're getting somewhere without all the distractions that are going on. But it appears that a line has been drawn in the sand and uh, we are going fully digital television in a very, very short while. And in another little twist and the turn of the whole cell C thing, just talking mobile for a second, there have always been three sort of significant and fourth not so significant mobile operators, MTN, Vodacom, cell C and Telcom. Telcom has been growing along with its sort of fixed line backbone for years and doing a fairly credible job for the most part, but never shooting the lights out. Celsi have been up and down and all over the show. Up at one stage, there were 20 million subscribers and growing, and now they're somewhat nowhere. They are effectively becoming, Celsi, through all their financial troubles, are effectively becoming a virtual mobile operator. Now, they won't be virtual because they'll have their own network at the back end, but what they are doing is moving across to everybody else's, well, Vodacom's and MTN's physical infrastructure. So all, every time you see, over the next year, you're going to see, you might still see Cell C if you're a Cell C subscriber. You might still see Cell C on your phone. And if you're a FNB subscriber, uh, you will still see FNB. But the simple fact is you will not be actually on any Cell C hardware. You will be roaming on MTN, which is quite interesting. And Here's where things got super interesting in a bit of a secret deal, which I think was not really communicated well. A lot of people don't know about this. But if you have a contract with Celsi right now, you've been moved to Vodacom's network. Well, if not yet, but over the next month or two, it started in mid-December and should be finished around about the end of February. But every single one of its contract and broadband subscribers is moving across to the Vodacom network um, as we speak. But it is more insidious than that. Right now, if you've got a contract and you've signed a deal with Cell C, nothing will change on that side. You may well be roaming on the on the Vodacom network, which is not a bad thing. The Vodacom network is really, really good, um, and their speeds are excellent, and you're getting 4G there too. So nothing will change from that point of view. But what they are also doing is by selling your contract to Vodacom, you will become subject to all Vodacom's processes, vetting, contract negotiations going forward. So when your contract expires, you'll probably be contacted by Vodacom to re-sign with them because your number will be existing on their network, which quite honestly is not very cool. A lot of people decided to move to Celsi for one price, two, who knows why, but the simple fact was they decided not to sign up with Vodacom and they decided to sign up with Cell C. And now they've been sneakily moved back to or across to Vodacom um, without any real consent on their, their part. And this deal, it, it might have some 
financial benefit for the owners of Celsi, which is Blue Label, and certainly some make some sense from the point of view of that the contract base is a very valuable part of their business. It's probably freed up lots of cash flow for them to do whatever else they're doing. But um, it really is a bit of a problem. I'd be very interested to hear from any of our users who have been migrated across, whether your phone shows Vodacom or whether it shows Celsi when you switch it on. But effectively, it's not a bad thing from a service point of view, but it's just a little uncomfortable that you signed up with Celsi and now all of a sudden you are part of the Vodacom group for all that that is worth. So stay tuned. This this story is not going away anywhere. Um, and essentially, the market has shrunk and Celsi are becoming a bit of a retail player as a virtual operator on top of other people's networks. And the two major networks with with uh, Telcom coming up a very distant third will be sales, um, MTN and Vodacom. Back to the Spectrum discussion, those two guys need masses of Spectrum to be able to service the country in the way that they have been going forward and go all 5G on us. So there's some really interesting times coming. But what... Watch your contracts, watch what's going on, see what's happening around Celsi, because if you're a subscriber, both to their broadband or their sort of cell phone contracts, you're going to find that over the next little while, certainly by the time you need to, to um, upgrade, you're going to find that you're going to be dealing with completely different people than you originally anticipated. So stay alive. You never know uh, to, to what's coming, but uh, watch the space and just be aware that you still have choice. You don't have to renew. And if you're not happy with Vodacom, you can move on anywhere else. Whatever you want to do there is up to you. But essentially, the two big boys in the, the game are MTN and Vodacom with with uh, Telcom floating around there, doing quite well because they've picked up a lot of slack of Celsi. But still, it's the competition is down, and I do believe pricing will stabilize this year from a mobile point of view. But data will, I still maintain, get a lot cheaper. And on that note, we'll be back straight after this with Tech Talk Cafe, talking about the, the big story. And this is a significant story. Um, it's all about Google, Facebook, Australia, and advertising. So stay tuned. We'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe. Joining me will be Brendan Ambrose from Advanced Intellect. He's a privacy and IP attorney, and he really does know some insight, will give us some insight into what's going on with this space. We'll be back straight after this. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 Hi FM. Coming to the big face-off, Facebook and Google and Australia. Well, we welcome Brendan Ambrose to the show. Welcome, Brendan. Are you listening in? I am. I am. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. So... I note that a lot of people in the tech world have been following this, and it's, it's sort of happening in the background. It's not sort of mainstream. We haven't seen it on TV yet. But there's some big, big implications to what's going on in Australia. Do you want to just give us a quick um, up, a summation of, of what the key issue around Australia and Facebook and Google is? Sure. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, it's a Facebook face-off, which is what, which is what I think it should be called from now on. <laughs> yeah, the Facebook um, face-off. The Facebook face-off. And what's essentially happened is the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission have pushed, are pushing legislation um, on the news media and digital 
platforms mandatory bargaining code. It really rolls off the tongue, right? Yeah, the typical <laughs> government stuff. You can't even say it. <laughs> exactly. So they're pushing this new code, and which is to increase the revenue of news platforms and curb the spread of fake news by addressing the unequal bargaining power um, that the news outlets have with Facebook and Google. Uh, initially, it is just Facebook and Google, so the code does say that it will apply to whoever the commissioner determines or the regulator determines, and as it starts, it'll only apply to Facebook and Google, which is a bit on the nose, um, which is in rather aggressive out yeah, it's, it's super aggressive because there are many, there are a number of other search engines. There are a number of platforms that aggregate information and share news data. And in fact, there are a lot of free aggregating news services that do the same thing. So it seems a little exactly. And what they're looking to do, right, is they're requiring companies like Facebook and Google to pay media publishers for the right to include their news content on social media platforms and within their search engines, right? And they, each one of those news platforms have to individually negotiate content prices within three months of the code coming into effect. And if they fail to negotiate the right prices, then they get referred to an arbitration process where a government appointed panel will pick the, uh, will pick for the publisher, um, or pick the, between the publisher and the text giants proposals, right? The other thing it does is it has to, it, it, it makes, makes Google and Facebook give the publishers 28 days notice before changing their search algorithms or their display algorithms, which is really, really interesting, right? Because that's often a critique, um, with, uh, by the news media where they say that, look, we are very beholden on what shows up in search. And we don't know when they're going to change the search algorithms, and often they do. And that does proliferate some form of fake news because often the smaller, less credible bunches, um, and that's not to say smaller news outlets are less credible, but it's, but often, often the, often the less credible outlets are smaller can operate and adjust faster to Facebook and Google's change in algorithms. So those are the, that, that's, which, sorry, which in, in, as a result means that their news shows up first, right, as opposed to the credible and vetted sources. Well, listen, the, search engine optima, sorry to interrupt there, but I mean, the whole, no. the whole concept, we've all grown up with the internet being the, the go-to place. In fact, it's often quicker and easier to Google something about someone and get that information through the Google interface than to even to go onto other people's websites. So Google as the aggregator of everything online has become the de facto way we work. And Facebook, for many people, has become the way that they interface with each other and share news and share information. So we live in a world right now where, no question, there's massive issues around privacy. The print world has, is essentially gone. And the online media space has taken over. But without a map of the Internet, which essentially Google is, how are we going to operate the internet? And there is a real danger in terms of this, the bluntness of what Australia is doing of actually derailing the, um, the internet for Australia and ultimately for the world. Because what's happened is that Google have thrown down the gauntlet. They've said, guys, you can't just tell us how much you're going to pay us for what we're doing. We don't agree with you in principle. And that's a whole nother game. But essentially, Google has said, if you force this through, and the initial part of the law has already been um, voted on positively. If this law comes into effect in Australia, the net effect is we will withdraw all Google services from Australia, and you will not be able to use any Google service 
uh, at all. And that includes mail. That includes maps. That includes Google Home, all their smart home stuff. It affects Android phones because Google search is built into Android phones at a very fundamental level. So the impact on a modern society that is connected via all these devices is, is, is potentially huge and massively disruptive. Well, so, absolutely. So, so what's, what's Facebook and Google have taken two different approaches to it, which is quite interesting. Facebook's taken the approach of, okay, well, then we just won't have news on our, on Facebook, right? And as of yesterday, they've pulled every piece of news from Facebook and you can no longer in Australia post news on Facebook from any Australian news or anything of that sort. And as a, as, as a Facebook user anywhere around the world, you can't post anything on Facebook from an Australian news site. That's Facebook's, that, that was Facebook's view on it. Google have rec- very recently, I think it was the beginning of this week, reached a deal with the major, um, with the major publishing houses in Australia. And that sort of brings me to an interesting critique, right? So there's sort of like three main critiques which fall, which, which, uh, often fall onto the, onto the Australian government's shoulders. The first is that on the nose approach. Which is they just decided they they didn't engage. They set the rules without uh, addressing the industry and allowing comments or may or, or real comments. Um, the 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 second is that they the the allocation of funds, right? So let's say that that both Facebook and Google capitulates and they start paying the publishers. This the allocation of funds doesn't go into the creation of more high quality journalism. It, remember. News outlets are, are private companies, and they can do what they want with their money. So doesn't the money necessarily just goes mean, to their bottom line. Yeah, so it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't in any way incentivize investment into better or higher quality news. Um, it also does not apply to smaller publishers, and this is interesting because this this will really only apply to the sort of Murdoch industries um, within Australia, and it's only then incentivizing and making money then for the big publishers. So smaller sort of independent news houses are getting the short end of the stick here big time because now they can no longer post on Facebook um, and they might not be able to post on Google um, and they don't get paid anything. So they really get uh, get, get uh, taken out, essentially. Get taken because out. Isn't and, that part of the whole Catch-22 situation that we've got? All these publishers, as printers died, I mean, you know, what came first? Yeah. Did the internet kill print or did print kill, you know, make the internet? Who yeah. knows? But the fact is, as the internet has grown, Google and all these various social media platforms have, have driven people to people, to websites all over the world. They've created an enormous, um, visibility of news and news sites and many news sites have actually popped up. The traditional ones have, have shrunk in some ways. But it's certainly change is not always bad, and this may be trying to protect those that are still living in the past on an old sort of business model. That is the, I wouldn't say conspiracy theory, but that, that certainly is a theory, right, where it's, it's the old money around um, established news houses that are trying to pad their bottom keep line. The state, and I mean, there's nothing the wrong. Quo. Keep the status quo. And there's nothing wrong with making money. But what it does is it, it obviously excludes smaller public publishing houses. Um, and that's something which does not seem to have been taken into effect. And, and it's a similar case in Europe, but not as exclusionary there, because they have had a, a, France, Spain and Germany have also had similar fights with Google. I mean, 
But that being said, that Google and Facebook to some arrangement whereby in France, Google has agreed yeah. to pay certain publishers for certain content. But it seems to have been a much softer and much more cooperative approach. But essentially, the sense is that Australia are going to break the web. Certainly for Australians. Yeah, look, I don't think that's going to happen. I think they will reach a, they will reach a, a an unhappy compromise because, quite frankly, there's more money in Australia for Google than this spat is worth. What what appears to have happened is that it has become a game of um, a game of snooker as opposed to a, uh, a legitimate a legitimate. Yes, it is brinksman, brinksmanship, where neither party can back away now because they've sort of drawn drawn the line in the sand and. By backing off, either one will either lose face um, politically, which lose, which then uses some of their political capital and puts them in a weak position going forward. So it's a bit of a problem from that point of view because it doesn't allow any flexibility. But and and that is where the critique towards the Australian government is coming, especially from Facebook and Google, where they're saying this was not a collaborative process. And but that being said, they're not entirely innocent in this. Where essentially their initial view in October last year. We're saying, well, actually, we're providing you with links to your website. You, we should be charging you for for, for driving content. I think to that's actually quite a valid. <laughs> that's quite a valid argument, considering no, the way I don't that think it is industry now. is structured right now. Exactly, and, and I, that's why I don't think it is a valid argument because the way in which it's structured right now <laughs> does not, and it does not allow for um, that to be a sort of long-term plan and a long-term. Um, execution. It, then what happens is it makes more money for very, for very, very few companies and leaves the, um, the publishers and especially the smaller publishers really out on the lurch, right? Then it, incre- it increases their expenditure and which pulls away from quality journalism, which is, I suppose, what the end goal is here, right? Look, so in many ways, I think that this is a, it, I mean, the internet's young. It's barely out of its, uh, out of its teen years. The whole online yeah. mobile, technological space is is in enormous growth mode and enormous change so we're seeing new business models pop up we're seeing new ways of doing things all the time you sort of take google we'll see, sort of we'll see over-regulation difference. we'll see over-regulation and then we'll see a correction as with all these sorts of new societal matters right so but, in my view that this is something over-regulate seems to be a global problem we're getting a lot of kickback and they're using fake news and, you know, a lot of the negatives, the highlighting the negatives to create a, a situation where they can overregulate semi sort of, uh, you know, in a way that makes sense for the governments. But in terms of oh, media so freedom and freedom weight, of the so web, we've say, got a problem. They can say that we are regulating this in order to ensure the um the, the morality of our society, which is very dangerous in any in any which way and form, right? Well, that's where but, dictatorships go. Well, yeah, I mean, that's I, I highly doubt we'll ever see Australia or in our lifetime see or see Australia become a dictatorship. Um, but <laughs> other people have got other opinions of what Australia is or isn't right now. But the simple fact is. This is a bit of a test case for the big companies, Google and Facebook. I mean, you mentioned earlier that the um, Facebook, because they are being warned to do this, have stopped all sharing of news. But what it also did, and it's, it seems a little sort of uh, a company as big as that could sort it out, but it's also stopped all sorts of government 
uh, Facebook pages, including the ones being used to assist in the rollout of the vaccine, to stop working as well. So they've really uh, thrown down the gauntlet to the Australian government. Yeah, and that is a problem in and of itself, right? And that's part of what the Australian government is trying to sort out. And the, the, the issue there is that I don't think they realize the far-reaching of, uh, power of Facebook, but they realize what they don't know. And now trying to adjust the fact that Facebook and Google hold so much public power and that it's not one with government, but with a, with a private company, which is currently how the web is structured, if you think about it. And that is a little scary. Because they're not, Facebook's not an elected official, but yet it is a, it is a medium through which most people get their news and, and engage with their government. Um, and it's interesting because this doesn't apply to Twitter, um, this new regulation. It only applies to Facebook and Google. So, and no, I imagine, and I'm not saying that Facebook and Google are the only shows in town, but I mean, um, uh, Microsoft with its own search engine is sitting there quietly hoping to benefit, but, you know, if they come for Google, they're going to come for everybody. It's just they're just starting where they're starting because they're the big boys with big money. Well, exactly. They're trying to re reset how the web works in Australia, and that's why it's an interesting social. It's an interesting social uh, experiment, and I'm glad we're not doing it, and that they can fight the fight um, because it is something that's very complicated, and it could have ramifications we don't know of yet. And it'll be interesting to see where it lands up. Because it is a fight that I think needs to be had, and it is a just it is something that the that the that Facebook and Google do need to adjust to. But on the same token, governments now need to realise the power that these companies wield, and coming in with a big stick is you lose the benefit of these companies. You then uh, you then everybody who uses Google Maps, uses Gmail, uses Google Search, uses any form of Google service could theoretically be hugely inconvenienced over the next little while. And the ripple effect of that, all the companies that have built their platforms on it, all the marketing, advertising, um, communications companies who've used these various platforms to build their businesses, the ramifications, or, sort of, or should I say the unintended consequences of this type of, of massively direct approach that Australia government are taking are potentially disastrous globally because it could create a massive vacuum if they decide to really go for it. It could, but also what's the benefit of it now is that this, this is spurring this conversation that we're having right now. It's making, it's bringing it to the fore of most people that to, to consider what their boundaries are and where they want the web to fit into their lives, which is something that people haven't considered because the web's just been a really convenient thing to have around. And you haven't had to consider it. But now we're at the stage where, because these companies are more powerful than most governments in the world, we have to now consider actually, where do we want these, um, where do we want these companies to fit into our and lives? What are their power? Do we want, yeah, how much power do we want them to lead over our lives and over our elected governments? I mean, that's a big question, but this is, these are the small little skirmishes that help us determine the boundaries of that, of, of that approach. Now, look, it's a fascinating analysis, and unfortunately, our time for for a change is running out really quickly. But in summary, do you believe that this will settle into some form of compromise, or do you think there's going to be have to be a little bit of a um, a standoff until the parties get get with the program? I think it will reach. They will reach a compromise. Um, they the Australian government can't back off. 
at this stage, and neither can uh, neither can Google and Facebook. However, Google has reached some small compromise with some of the publishers. I think pay- Facebook may reach a similar one. Facebook's complication is that they don't choose what gets shared on their platform. It's the users that choose what gets shared on their platform. So it's much easier for Google to reach the compromise because they can select from which publishers they they want they to share show. information. Well, Facebook can't. So Facebook's in a much more complex situation. Um, so it will take longer, but I don't think this will. I think this will this will peter out to a large extent. I don't think that people in Australia won't be able to share news on Facebook for very long. Well, let's I hope, may eat my words, but <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's hope see. we let's hope we can reach some sort of compromise. Because as I said, it might sound like it's something that's happening on Australia, but it's a microcosm of global concern around fake news, around the power of these various companies, and how social media and the internet in itself interacts with with life as we know it. So it's a big deal. Watch the space. We're going to see more and more. But uh, thanks for joining us, Brendan. Thanks for the insight there, and we will chat very soon. In the meanwhile, we break for our sponsors. Sorry, Brendan. Carry on. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure. Now we take a quick break for our sponsors, and then I'm back with some gizmos and gadgets I've been playing with in the last couple of days. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, moving on to my favorite gadget of the week, putting aside all the madness of um, not being able to use Google, I, I personally think that there's going to be a lot of change. I think there's going to be a paid web going forward. But having no access to Google and how many people everyone I speak to a lot of people, mostly older people right now, youngsters don't like Facebook so much, but still they use a lot of other platforms. And if advertising and marketing and targeting is not happening, it's going to change the way we interact with, with lots of people. And a lot of people I know make lots of money out of Pinterest, out of um, Instagram. So it's become the go-to for cosmetics, for food, for all sorts of things. So there's just so many ways that we interact and we become comfortable with. And it looks like there's some big change coming in the nearest future. Anyway, moving on to gizmos and gadgets. Been playing with a really, really interesting pair of earbuds. Earbuds are all the rage. Everybody's got an earbud from the... And I mean, again, you can knock, knock it or don't agree. It took Apple with their earpods to completely move earbuds into the mainstream. There were lots of models prior... You didn't see them everywhere. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's got a little white thing sticking out of their ears, the little ear pods with a little sticky thing. I think it looks a little lame, but you watch anyone on a Zoom, you watch anyone anywhere, and they're wandering around with their little ear pods. And essentially, what Apple have done is move the earbud into the mainstream. And, of course, their biggest rival in the Android space, Samsung, have been making really good earbuds for, for many, many years. I mean, I've used a number of their models and it really, yeah, they've been very, very good quality, great battery life, great sound quality, great ease of use, obviously best with Samsung devices. They're pretty seamless. So they've done a really good job. And their latest version, the new Galaxy Bud Pros, which interestingly, on the 19th, which is tomorrow, the S21 range launches, a whole lot of people probably pre-ordered it. And for the most part, they've been giving a lot of giveaways like the S Pen, which is part of what I've been playing with, and the uh, Galaxy Bud Pros, which 
you know, came part of my review package with the S21. And just to give you a little sense of where they are and what they're doing. And I've played with the, all of the various models. A simple verdict right up front is that these are a huge improvement on all the other earbuds from Samsung that I've used. And they're going to retail for around about 3999, which is quite reasonable considering um, the, the Apple ear, earpods have dropped. Their pros have dropped down to just under 5,000 Rand now, which is quite a big deal. But they're still quite expensive. For a 1,000 Rand less, you've got a really good set of earbuds with two caveats. The first one is they do not, even with the app, they do not work quite as seamlessly with Apple devices as they do with Samsung devices. For the most, again, I'm, I have both, so I've tr played with both. They work very well on Apple. They sound great. This noise cancelling is decent. Potentially not as good as the, um, as the Apple earpods, but very good for the normal sort of use you use them. The other problem is they've become a little heavier than the previous versions. So they stick out a little bit more. And because they have no additional sort of fitting, in other words, they don't have any sort of way that they can sort of hook around your ear. After a bit of use, a little bit of exercise, a bit of walking, they tend to slip a little. And obviously that affects the seal and it does affect the noise cancellation quite a lot. But they've done a lot of work around the microphones, around the noise cancelling in terms of wind. Uh, a lot of people don't even realize that I'm using an earbud uh, when I'm talking to them because they are that good. And they do, you do look a little bit, a little bit funny with two little bumps poking out of your ears. No ubiquitous stick, but they, they definitely are a little larger. Battery life are brilliant. Um, sound quality is actually very, very good. I like their balance. They're very clear. Voice quality for calls is excellent. So I'm being very, very impressed with the quality of these earbuds at the price. So in a way, it, it, it comes down to a very, very simple thing. If you have any Samsung device or Android device, they're probably the best value, best quality earbud that you can find. There are a lot of competition out there. LG make great ones. There are a lot of good ones out there. But in this space of a ubiquitous, easy-to-use, quality um, voice device, you can use one of them. It's got one little clever feature where if you take one out, you can use it like a type of lapel mic, and you can use it for all sorts of streaming and, and other things. You can use it one at a time and make calls and receive calls, so you leave the other one out. It's also got a very nice hear-through mode, which you can just simply tap them, and you can hear whatever's going on around you, cuts the noise cancelling. It also has ultra-high-quality audio using um, the smart things and the Samsung proprietary platform. So if you've got a Samsung phone, either the S, any of the S series up to the S21, you'll find these are a seamless, high-quality, easy-to-use, long-lasting earbud that really works exceptionally well at a very good price. I, I think the price is reasonable for the quality. The older models are still good. They're probably going to drop in price a bit now and be even a better deal, so it becomes difficult to decide which one you want. But the simple fact is if you're looking for a pair of high-quality earbuds, if you're buying an S21, the chances are you'll get one. The tag is not, you know, you, there's a choice. Apparently, you can, depending on the model you buy, you can either get the AirTag or the, the Samsung tag. It's not the AirTag. That's a rumor from Apple. But the Samsung tag, which allows you to find your keys and other lost things with your phone, um, or the earbuds, the, 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 the 
uh, Buds Pro. And I would suggest you go for the Buds Pro because they are absolutely good quality and, and really work extremely well. The touch controls are simple. The IPX7 waterproof. So in other words, you can sweat on them. You can walk with them in the rain. You shouldn't have any problem. The sound, as I say, is good. Perhaps there are others out there that I've tried that do sound a little bit better. They also don't have Google Assistant or Siri support at all. They've only got um, the uh, the Samsung support for, for voice commands. I've never really used those much. I found it a bit lame when you're shouting into the fresh air. But in any event, um, they're available pretty much everywhere from tomorrow. So you can pick them up at 3999. And uh, they really make a lot of sense, especially if you're in the Android Samsung space. Not so much in the, the Apple space. And we'll be back with my quick wrap-up straight after this. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And as I said, great thing. And, the re- and it's all tied into everything. I've been using earbuds because I've been training a lot at home and I need to cut out all the um, sort of background noise and everything. And a bit of music tends to make the hour of killing yourself to try to stay fit and healthy in these crazy times without the use of a gym. Although the gyms are open, it's often you, if you get there late, you've got to sit in the parking lot and wait your turn because 50 maximum. It's, it's, it's stressful to go to a gym and then you never know what's going on. So pretty much most of us for the last year have been working out at home and earbuds and you know, streaming services have been my, my uh, go-to. But more than that, I've been using a couple of fitness products on my phone, and they really do make all the difference. Because a personal trainer, you can get them, they, you can Zoom them, but here's an option. For around about 150 rand a month, or for around about six, 750, 800 rand a year, you can sign up for an online fitness training platform. And the one that I've been using and, and really recommend you have a quick look at is something called FitBod. F-I-T-B-O-D. It's available on Android and on iOS, though currently I think the iOS Apple version is slightly better than the Android one. It's only recently come out on Android. That's why I've never mentioned it before. But what it does, it, it really is an excellent training platform. It's an app which takes you through the various uh, exercises. You can tell it what equipment you've got, no equipment. It gives you a full-on boot camp in the safety and comfort of your home all the way through to a gym with everything. If you've got bands, you can add that in. If you've got a, a medicine ball, you can add that in. And it really has, for me, it tracks you, it watches you, it watches you not so much directly. But certainly, if you're looking for a companion, something that will take you through um, a training program and keep track of it and give you all the stats and be a personal trainer for a moderate amount of money, 150 rand a month is really not a lot for the benefits that it brings, gives you the exercises, shows you the form, there's videos. It's really a great way to work out. So have a look. There are a number online, but this is one I've used, and I must say, very, very impressed. It's called FitBod. So give it a look and see see if that works for you. And on that note, I'm being told it's time to wrap up. What a crazy, crazy uh, week. Again, so much happening. Privacy, everything's changing. So um, here we go. Till next week, same place, same time, right here on High FM with all the latest gizmos, gadgets, and updates of the tech world that is 
literally changing our world. This is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on Hi FM. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.